There is much to the context of, of chapter 4 that we've read together that would demand, actually, that we would read chapter 3 and read chapter 3 and, and, and have some understanding of its context but because chapter 4 is very much linked to chapter 3, not in the sense that it's the following chapter, and of course there would be some link and it's in the same epistle, but no, the, the contents of chapter 4 really build up to what, what, what Paul uh, writes to Timothy. And that's the basis of the charge that we see in, in verse 1. I mean, it says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So that therefore points to just, to, we'll just mention just a few things from chapter 3. The, the rising godlessness in society for the days will come, uh, Paul begins, for the last days perilous times shall be. When are these last days? Uh, the last days is a, a description of the, of the scriptures to the whole of the church. From the at least from the New Testament church, from the days that um, that the gospel, that the apostle went bustles went forth with the great commission, uh, the the scriptures call them even the the ministry of Christ, that the last days, they are the last days. Why? Because time is running out. Time is running out. There are many people who would say uh, these are the last of the last days, but again. Uh, how long is this? If we think, consider the last days has already been 2,000 years of days, uh, then how long will it be before the Lord comes? Well, the Lord gives us indications in his word, but we're not looking at the end times now specifically in detail, but we are looking at the end times even in Paul's day. But him speaking of those things would yet to come, and in chapter 3 saying these things will happen and, and he reflects upon the godlessness in society but then he speaks about the godlessness in society in his day in chapter 4 that he is dealing with these things so I'm going ahead of myself godlessness in society but godlessness in the church because there are false teachers in the church and he's warning he's warning saying that they will yet be, be and then he gives examples in chapter 4 we've just read it of false teachers of false believers even of the coppersmith Alexander who in 1 Timothy is declared I believe in chapter 2 that he and a colleague have been excommunicated and then we see that therefore in the second epistle that he's still very much on the mind of Paul and maybe he's still at work in, in working against the gospel. So godlessness in society, godlessness in the church, but also the suffering that is experienced by believers. And that's what we see in, at the end of, uh, of, towards the end of, of chapter 3, yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But that context then is is balanced out, we could say, because Paul also points out to three glorious things. Firstly, the, the godly heritage that Timothy was brought up with. A godly heritage, he was brought up in the knowledge of the truth. So the, the, that is a great thing, the true teaching of the church. Why? The true teaching of the, uh, and the true teaching of the apostles because of the divine inspiration of the scriptures as we read in verses 16 and 17, that wonderful uh, um, truth, that wonderful doctrine all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And, that it, and, and as he goes on to say, it's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness. So the reforming and sanctifying word, the power of the word of God. So we have the word of God. We have a godly heritage. And we have that word that makes such a difference in our lives and makes such a difference it can and has done in the past, even in, in society. And so it's for those reasons... Uh, within this context then, uh, much of which Paul actually repeats in chapter 4, 
as he applies it to his own life, that he then charges Timothy in a very solemn fashion. Very solemn. I charge thee, I command thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Uh, that charge that goes forth is not dissimilar to a very solemn oath that goes out. He's calling upon God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ in the context of judgment to bear witness to what he says to Timothy as a gospel preacher. And it is because of sin, it is because of false believers, because of false teachers, that Timothy is solemnly exhorted to preach and to continue in preaching in season, out of season, whether he feels like it or not, whether, it's, uh, uh, whether the people think it's applicable to them or not, or whatever, keep preaching the whole counsel of God. Yet it's God who sends his word forth. He ought to be instant, he ought to be ready. And in that word is reproof, is rebuke, is exhortation with all long-suffering and doctrine, to suffer the reaction of the people who do not want to hear that message at that time. And he is to continue in teaching the doctrines of the Scriptures, whether they like doctrine or not. Exhort, be instant, in season and out of season. This is a solemn command that is given to Timothy personally, but of course it's given to all that would preach the Word of God that are called to be ministers of the gospel. But it's not only the exhortation in, in, in verse 2 that we've just looked at that falls under this solemn uh, oath, this divine injunction, but it's also verse 5, because verses 3 and 4 really are a description of those, of those times when people will not endure sound doctrine, though you preach it. They will not endure it. They don't want to hear it. They have their own uh, timetable. They have their own priorities. But you as a preacher, preach the Word of God. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. And maybe just this much turned unto fables. Maybe just getting hold of this much YouTube theology or even this much and being turned absolutely away uh, from the core truths of the Trinity, of, of the divinity of Jesus Christ, of his atoning blood, of his virgin birth, and all these other core matters of the gospel. And if you don't understand that they are the core matters of the gospel, come and speak to me afterwards. But watch thou in all things. Again, we come now with that second exhortation. Watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. And then he comes back and speaks of himself, for I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. You see here, therefore, that Paul the Apostle, towards the end of his ministry, a very, very active ministry, uh, having established so many churches, having encouraged so many churches, having had so many, uh, those three missionary journeys around the classical world. He's now towards the end of his life, and he's ready to be offered. He's ready to hand over, as it were, the baton to Timothy in some way. And so that goes forth, a very solemn Injunction, And there are four exhortations that he makes in, in verse 5. Watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, and make full proof of thy ministry. And so as we've just made, made clear to ourselves, 
Uh, the first, the primary charge is going to Timothy. It's written to Timothy. It is the epistle to Timothy. And as I said, it's secondly to every gospel preacher. But thirdly, it's to all that will live godly in Christ Jesus. All that will live godly in Christ Jesus are to take heed of what he says and what Paul writes, the Holy Ghost writes through Paul uh, in verse 5 and those four exhortations. The believer is to persevere in all these things, whether the believer is a Timothy, whether the believer is a gospel minister, whether the believer is not a gospel minister. To persevere in all these things in spite of the state of the society, in spite of the state of the church. And may the Lord be pleased to help us as we open up uh, this verse and understand something of the fact that you must persevere. You must persevere. Firstly, as we open up the first exhortation, although it is the second that I will spend more time on, But the first exhortation to give the full context then is you must persevere in being watchful. You must persevere in being watchful. But watch thou in all things. That word watch, it says watch thou, is the meaning of that word is is, is literally to be sober. It can be used in the sense of not being drunk, but the figurative meaning of that word is to be sober, to be watchful, to be careful, to be self-contained, to be self-controlled. But be thou self-controlled at all times and in all situations. And that's, and that's the meaning that, that's here. There is another word that's more express about not drinking alcohol, uh, but this is the, a general word for sober, and therefore the authorized translators have used it in the right way. But watch thou, be watchful, be careful, be careful. We are to be a watchman over our own heart, over our own soul, over our own mouths and over our own thoughts, to be watchful because these things can take over us, these things can bring us uh, into a situation uh, where we lose control and then uh, the grace of God that has been given to us and the, and the testimony and the witness that we've had within our family or in the, in the church or in the greater world is diminished because we have not been watchful. We have not been careful. And that, 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 that goes out to all and sundry. Everyone must be realized that even though by the grace of God that you're saved, the flesh can still be strong. The flesh is stronger than any of us really give credit to. And it can just be a moment, a moment if we could say, of oh, fleshly madness. You thought, oh, that would be good. And then as soon as you've said it or done it, that was the foolish, most foolish thing I've ever said. I shouldn't have said that. Would my Lord be pleased to have seen it? Well, of course, the Lord did see it. But he would not have been pleased. And therefore, we're to be watchful. This young Timothy, this, this gospel preacher and co-missionary with Paul is to be is to be careful he's to be watchful in all things and at all times but you can't do this out of your own strength because this desire to walk according to the spirit and not to the flesh this desire is given by the spirit but the power to do it is also given by the spirit and so we don't try to walk in our own flesh and say if I do this and I do this and I'm, I'm really strict with this and I'm strict with that, I will do it. You, you, may be, you may succeed, but you'll also succeed in turning your soul into a Pharisee. And so you must be humble before the Lord and say, Lord, I need thy strength. I need thy grace. I need help in all of these things that I would be watchful. 
That, that, that the prayer, Psalm 141 and verse 3, set a guard, O Lord, before my mouth. That there, that, that there will be a guard that would be to stop the foolishness of the flesh coming out of the mouth. Even saying those things that we shouldn't say, even that, the groaning or the moaning or the reaction to something that would have been better just to say nothing at all. But it is true this, that when we do walk according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh, that we will find ourselves in times of testing. Times of testing. Even if we pretend to walk according to the Spirit and do walk according to the flesh, that we will be tested. And it will be proved, if we're relying on the arm of the flesh, that we will be proved often, repeatedly, big and small, that we're not self-contained, that we're not sober, that we're not watchful but looking to the Lord as He is pleased to help us as we are aware of our weakness and we lay hold upon His strength that there will be times of testing. That we could then test the Lord, as it were, to see that He, he will sustain us, that He will help us. And so we've learned to be watchful over our mouths and our behavior and what will the Lord then do? He will strengthen us and He will mature us through what? Through affliction. And we have the connection there. But watch thou in all things endure affliction. If you've ever read Job, you might know in the chapter 1 of Job, and verse 1 it says, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright, one that feared God and eschewed. He shunned and fled from evil. It's because the Lord had granted him much grace that he was, that he was a mature, ripe Christian, that he was able to take much of the... Uh, uh, all of the tests that the Lord put upon him. And so that is the case. That, that, that shouldn't put you off, believer, from becoming a mature and, and ripe Christian. Say, well, I don't want that. I don't want to be tested. But it's because you are a mature and ripe Christian that you will stand under testing. You will stand, withstand the wiles of the devil that the Lord will use for testing. And so the desire should be to be strong. Weaken yourself, but strong in the Lord. You must persevere in being watchful. Brings us on to the second exhortation. You must persevere by withstanding. You must persevere by withstanding. He, uh, Paul has already told uh, Timothy, and I've already quoted it in the previous chapter in verse 12, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And that's a truth for all Christians, for all those that believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Here is the promise, not many claim it, that all will live, that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Not all that claim to live in Christ Jesus, but all that will live godly. So those that would hinder the work of the devil, that, that would strive against the flesh, and, and they would warn of the things in the world, that they would be even more, as it were, under the, under the sights of the devil. But such suffering and such difficulties, such afflictions as the Lord speaks of, uh, Paul terms them the afflictions of the gospel. If you go to uh, of the same uh, letter uh, you see in chapter 1 and verse 8, that Paul the Apostle writes there, he says, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel. 
according to the power of God. These afflictions belong uh, to uh, the gospel and to those who are partakers of the gospel. And if we were to continue to read chapter 4 as we did, we would see in verses 10 and 11 exactly that. The afflictions of the gospel, Paul was still suffering towards the very end of his ministry. Here he wasn't, he wasn't sitting and doing gardening. Uh, he didn't, he, by the Lord's nothing wrong with doing gardening or being, or being retired and enjoying the reward of your, of your long life of labors. But what I'm saying is Paul didn't have the chance, the opportunity, but it was the Lord's will that he would continue even to the very end, even to being taken prisoner and taken to Rome. But he says here in verses 10 to 11, he says, For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. So one of his own missionary team have not only sort of uh, given up the work of the missionary, but have become apostate, it would appear, having loved this present world and has departed into Thessalonica. And he talks about two others. He talks about Crescens having gone to Galatia and Titus unto Dalmatia. Now we know that Titus was a faithful man. He's not saying all three are apostate. But they've left, they've gone off for whatever reason, but certainly Demas has forsaken me and forsaken the gospel, forsaken the work. And he says, only Luke is with me. And, and take Mark, he says, as he writes to Timothy, for he is profitable to me in the ministry. Antichicus he sent to Ephesus. And then we come to verses 14 to 16. Again, he, he, he brings to mind or brings to the attention of, of Timothy, Alexander the coppersmith. Saying, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. The man has been excommunicated. He's been put out. He's been given up to Satan. And yet he still seems to have a work against him. And he says in verse 15, Of whom be thou aware also? Be aware of him, Timothy. This is a dangerous man. For he hath greatly withstood our words. He, he has withstood the clear preaching and teaching and rebuke of the apostle of Jesus Christ and he has, not, he has not been humbled by his, his excommunication. He's continuing, it would seem, as we understand this correctly. But it says the Lord reward him according to his works. This man is beyond, it seems, help. I'm saying the Lord reward him. And yet when we, he speaks of the others who have deserted him or not been diligent in their work or, or didn't stand up for him, as we see this... This, 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 this fight between, uh, or a battle, or a debate between Alexander and Paul. It says nobody stood with him. Nobody stood with the Apostle Paul. Every man departed from him. He was where on his own. All men forsook me. And yet he says graciously, because he knows that they're believers, I believe, I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me. The Lord stood with him. In these afflictions, the Lord stood with him. And that is the important thing to understand. We are, the Lord is with us, and we are to expect afflictions. We're to expect them. Um, nowhere in the New Testament does it say that, the, that a Christian will have a life of ease and comfort. Nowhere. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And where is this persecution? Well, we, we, we see it in these two chapters here, persecution or afflictions from within the church, from outside the church. We know from our own experience, from neighbors, from family, from friends, friends no more. Many of us know that when we first became a Christian, when we first called upon the name of the Lord, when he saved us, 
that, that, that there was a change and a huge shift that the, that the close friends we had, we now have nothing in common. Uh, family members, there's now nothing in common. We can get on with them, we can, we can talk to them, but it, it seems so superficial because you cannot talk on the same level about the Lord Jesus Christ or about the gospel or about the truths of the scriptures because you are in an entirely different kingdom. They are still in the kingdom of Satan, but you have been translated into the kingdom of heaven. So afflictions are, to, are there, and we're not to be surprised when afflictions come, because the Lord, by such texts, forewarns us and therefore arms us that these things will come. Or to expect them. But having seen them come upon our path, we are to accept them. We're to accept afflictions. We understand, and I can bring you back to Job. I hope you have read something of Job. In chapter 1 of Job, uh, as the Lord is introducing Job, he says, he, he then goes on, I believe, in chapter 8, he speaks of Job even in the presence of Satan, and, he, and, and, and the Lord says, have, have you seen Job? Have you seen how, how good he is, how, how righteous, perfect, and upright a, a man he is, and he eschews evil? There is none like him on the earth. And then the devil uh, is encouraged to test him by the Lord. And so we understand that all testing that you receive in your life is ultimately from the sovereign hand of God. You may see a human face there. You may have an idea that the devil's behind that human face. But ultimately, it is the sovereign work of God uh, to test you, to afflict you for good. So we know the source of it, but therefore we also understand that none of this affliction is out of God's control. And we know we can undergo severe afflictions, deep griefs in life, and whatever they might be. But these are the crosses that the Lord speaks of. Luke 9 and 23, and we looked at it recently in Mark. And he said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. There's a, there's a, a daily cross for all Christians to be born. And it's good that we accept that cross, that we don't try to lay it down. And I'm not just talking about the cross that we take up on salvation, but the cross that we take up for sanctification. But God is ultimately behind them. He's in control, and therefore we should be enabled to accept them, knowing that there is a loving Heavenly Father, that there is a glorious and all-powerful and victorious Savior who is behind them, and His Spirit is within us sustaining us. The everlasting arms are underneath, and so we're to not only expect them, but we are to accept them, and we're therefore, in accepting them, we're not to flee from them. We're not to deny them and, and try to live as if they're not there. That doesn't help. You know, if you have a, a very, and everyone has a very large uh, um, uh, gas and electricity bill these days, you, you can't just slip it under the front doormat and, and it will go away. It's, it's still there and the debt is still there and you can ignore it and then you'll get, you'll get an extra, extra uh, uh, charge on top of that and maybe that will increase. And You, you, you can't flee from that which is, which is there and you're not to flee from it. There is certainly a place, of course, to pray to God, to call upon Him and ask Him to help and maybe to take away the affliction. The Bible doesn't say that we're not to do that, but to cast all our cares upon the Lord. So, Lord, will Thou take away this affliction? Will Thou, will thou take it away? And, but you see that it hasn't been taken away. And then, if therefore, you would understand the Lord has willed this and it must remain for a season. 
And we can, unfortunately, become so obsessed with the removal of afflictions that we're only literally obsessing about that affliction and and forgetting about all the other matters. And and, and, and we're sapping our joy in the Lord by just looking at the the difficulty and the affliction that we have. I had a friend many years ago who is, because of an operation when a child, he was in a wheelchair. He could could talk from from his neck up. He was 100%, I would say 120% healthy because he was a very intelligent, and clever man, but, but the rest of it, he could hardly move around. It was a, a, a wheelchair with a little bit of movement, and he could, he could move around. But there was a time, and we first met him in the charismatic church, where he was obsessing about getting healed, obsessing about just stepping out of his chair and, and, and walking as all, all these promises were going forth uh, from, that, from that movement. And he was never happy, and he was... He was, as it were, resisting the will of God without knowing it because, of course, he wasn't taught the will of God or the Word of God in such a church. But it took a couple of years when he'd come out of that church. Well, we'd come out of that church with him and a few others. And that the Lord would, would, through his word, help to soothe him and, and realize that which the Lord gave as an answer to the Apostle Paul. So when the Apostle Paul received a thorn in the flesh, he also spent three seasons in prayer with the Lord, uh, looking uh, that the Lord would take it away. And then the Lord's answer was ultimately not to take that thorn of the flesh out, but to keep it in there. And Paul had to accept it and not, not, not flee from it. And then the Lord gave Paul, with that thorn, grace to withstand, to bear 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 9, and we hear these glorious words and uh, such words that would uh, that helped uh, and soothe and comfort my friend who was in the wheelchair and still is. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So to expect them, we're to accept them, we're not to flee from them, but we are to endure them, and that is really the core of what we're looking at in uh, verse 5. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions. We're to endure under these afflictions. Why? Why are we to remain under them? Why do we live under them and to continue to live? That's the fuller context. You're still to be watchful. You're still to do the work of an evangelist. You're still to make full proof of your ministry in and under these afflictions. So we're not to be obsessed with having the afflictions removed. We'll continue to be uh, spiritual and godly and fruitful Christians. We are to endure them so that their sanctifying work would have their way in us. That's why we are to endure under them. And this is so contrary to the flesh. It's so contrary to what what we want to believe, but this is the truth, that they have a sanctifying work in us. If we do not rebel against them, if we do not fight against them, if we do not obsess about them, but we are to endure under them. Peter, in his first epistle, writes in the first chapter, in verses 6 and 7, of these very truths, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, meaning trials, 
that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, may be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. How are these afflictions? How do they come into your life and into the church? Well, they can be all sorts of afflictions. Personal ones, loss of a, loss of a loved one. Sickness uh, can be a, an affliction. False brethren, disunity in the family, disunity in the church, misunderstandings. The world is, is in such a, a condition of misunderstanding between countries, between politicians, between politicians and people, between peoples. Gossip and slander, whatever else it might be that you see as an affliction, as a thorn in your flesh. And these things are not an easy matter, and there are many more, but we are to endure them. We are to continue living under the cross that the Lord has put upon us. But the Lord is with us. The Lord is with us. He's with us to support us. He's, he's there by his very union with his people. Please turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. To understand something of the union that we have with Christ, which is why Paul calls them gospel afflictions. That the, the Lord is with us in so, in so an intimate way, not just that he, he grants us grace, rich, beautiful uh, grace to support us in these times, but in what, who he is and who he is to us. So chapter 12 of Hebrews and verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him, that is Jesus, that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not resisted unto blood striving against sin. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? So much of what we're looking at in, in verse 5 and in this enduring affliction is, is open to, to us in those verses. And that it's Christ who's gone before us in enduring afflictions. And he is our great example. And he has endured afflictions on the cross. He has endured the wrath of God for our sakes. And then he embraces us in full union with him. That we are one with him. And he is one with us in afflictions. He is a great high priest who is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He has gone ahead. He, he knows these afflictions, and he will not despise us in afflictions, but will comfort us, will love us, and help us in these afflictions, most especially when we don't obsess about the afflictions, but we do what we've just read. We look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We're to endure afflictions we could also say we are to rejoice in afflictions, not, 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 not that we find them great, we're not enjoying afflictions, 
but we can have some we can have some rejoicing in them because God is behind them because God controls them and because God is with us in those afflictions and we know that he is good he is kind and we can trust him that he's not out to destroy us so many people in the world are out to destroy us to defame us and they despise us but the Lord when he brings these difficulties on our paths he's there to do us good not to destroy us but to change us to transform us to break our fleshly pride to humble us before him to make us more dependent upon him which is good and so drive us to our knees in prayer and finally as we consider under afflictions and we may just leave it here as time is against us we're to remain sweet under afflictions we're to remain sweet under afflictions because when enduring afflictions and afflictions upon afflictions we must be oh so careful that we do not become bitter under these afflictions these afflictions which sieve us uh, as in um, with a sieve uh, or they they're trying us they're testing us they're breaking that part of us that needs to be broken that is not of Christ and not pleasing to Christ and is putting new life into that part of of us our, our born-again soul that the Lord would have strong but we're to remain that we don't come bitter embittered towards the Lord or embittered towards those that the Lord is using for the affliction or just become embittered towards anyone who reminds you of past afflictions and that happens the people look and they see something in you it's not and they say, oh you're just like that person and they think they've got you down well you're just like that person you, you, you know you you have the same colored tie or you have the same glasses therefore you're hundred percent that person well the reason why you then hold the grudge against this new person is because you're still bitter against that old person but you're not to become bitter Hebrews 12 we're using Hebrews quite a lot this morning Hebrews 12 verses 14 to 15 says this follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord looking diligently lest any man fail of the grace of God lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and therefore many be defiled see what bitterness can do it troubles you it's a constant trouble there's no peace and it defiles others at the same time defiles family and friends how is it how does it defile well there's a bitterness in the words there's a bitterness in the talking there's a bitterness and it is not of the Lord it is not of the Lord but you look to see what the Lord is doing in your life and in your soul through these humbling afflictions and that is an aspect of being watchful over your life and walk also that how you deal with the afflictions how do you deal with bitterness if you think to yourself now as we've just heard any root of bitterness springing up that it troubles you and therefore thereby many be defiled you think to yourself well I recognize something of that in that attitude in that place in that relationship there's bitterness they need to repent of it because it's a sinful bitterness it's sinful bitterness is sinful but we do what the Lord says that we go to him for cleansing we go to him for strength we go to him for grace so that the affliction and the suffering that you are experiencing now will be blessed to you that you might say with the psalmist 
Psalm 119, verse 71, that you can look back with spiritual hindsight, looking back at what the Lord has brought you through, and you can say this, it is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn thy statutes, that I may learn something more of the Lord. And we could continue, but we won't continue now. We may continue next Lord's Day morning. As we consider this, you must persevere in these gospel matters. May the Lord bless that to us. There's a lot to take in. Watch thou in all things, endure afflictions. Uh, Let us pray. Our God and Father, we give thee thanks and praise that we have thy word, and thy word is, is a precious gift. And we know it is, it's like a double-edged sword and, and it can cut into the flesh. And that is painful, that is unpleasant. But Lord, it is also the surgeon's scalpel to cut away the cancer of the flesh, to cut away bad attitudes. Lord, may it cut away bitterness. May thy word come in and help us to endure afflictions, to expect them and accept them, and not flee from them. But Lord, to know that Thou art there in them and with them, and Thou art merciful and gracious and kind, even to us, Lord, we do pray. Bless Thy Word to us, that we may make full and rich application of it in our lives. Forgive us our bitterness. Forgive us cynicism. And Lord, change our hearts to be more like Christ's. Hear us, we pray in his name and for his glory. Amen. Please open your uh, hymn books to hymn 526, 526. I need thee every hour, most gracious Lord. No tender voice like thine can peace afford. Let us stand to sing hymn 526, please.
salvation. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. Thank you.